Hey, internet peeps, what's going on? How you doing today? I bet you're amazing. Or maybe you're like poop emoji and that sucks, but we're going to turn that around because you're tuning in to a new episode of Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and today we are going to be having some fun and games with NGRX. And it's going to be super awesome, I promise. Pinky swear. Can I pinky swear with myself? I don't know. Do I have to pinky swear with like somebody else? I don't know the rules of pinky swear engagement. It's been a minute, but uh, I swear it's going to be good. So let's get into it. Uh, our panelists joining us today. We've got Mike Brocky. Mike, what's going on? Mike. All right. How about Austin McDaniel? Austin, how's it going? How's it going, guys? How's everybody doing today? Cool. Hey, Mike, are you there with us now? Can't hear Mike, but he's here. Uh, and our guest today is Ken Rimple. Ken, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Happy to have you. Why don't Thank you, you. Uh, fill in our viewers a little bit about yourself, what you got going on, what you do, that sort of thing? Sure. So again, my name is Ken Rimple. I'm the uh, director of training for Chariot Solutions. We're a Philadelphia-based uh, application development uh, shop. Uh, I focus a lot on Angular JS and Angular two slash forward, or you want to call it these days. Um, having written our own training in those areas, so um, a lot of you know speaking, evangelizing, trying things out, uh, educating the public, that kind of thing. It's a lot of what I do. And also, when I'm not doing that, I'm helping our consultants on various projects. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're stoked to have you here today. Uh, I understand you've got some NGRX code you're going to demo for us and show us some solutions that you did for a couple projects. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about NGRX and fill in viewers who might not be familiar with it or who have just checked it out. Uh, what are we talking about when we talk about NGRX? Sure. So NGRX is a uh, Redux uh, state store for Angular. Um, and so let me unpack all that for you. Uh, first of all, before anything else, NGRX, the RX at the end, really says that it's using RxJS, uh, the uh, observable framework that everyone is learning and using in Angular uh, going forward. So it basically deals with a stream of information uh, going from information stored in a state. Um, beyond that, it's using the standard pattern that's been put together by the uh, Facebook team uh, around Flux and then ultimately Redux, which basically states that you've got this uh, collection of state and the state is stored in a store of some sort, which is just basically some sort of object that manages it. Um, when you want to make a change to the store, you dispatch an action to it. Uh, the action has a type and the type has uh, some sort of payload in it that you'll pay attention to. And the way Flux works is that you have a... Uh, function that is a pure function that will always return the same result for given inputs uh, and that you're always replacing the state from the re what they call the reducer, the, the method that they're actually processing it with. So that's the basic architecture. From the other side of it, to, to use it, you're going to dispatch methods into it, dispatch these requests, and you're going to be notified through an observable whenever the state changes. And so that's the, the basics of NGRX store. It uses observables and the Redux pattern to store state for an application. Okay, cool. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that um, when we talk about Flux and Redux and how it got to NGRX and, and mm -hmm. what kind of that plays out with. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about uh, what is the problem or, or what is the solution that NGRX is providing us or this approach of the state is providing us in our Angular applications? Sure. So the, the good part, I think, about it is that you're kind of centralizing a graph of data to deal with that can then be uh, subscribed to, again, through the RxJS kind of subscriptions, can be subscribed to in various slices across your application. And so it makes it so that the individual components don't have to manage a whole bunch of little tiny pieces of state uh, themselves. They can all kind of point to a slice or a view of that state. And I think that's the real thing that it tries to address for you. The other thing that it does is it lets you chain in various types of operations. Uh, so for example, maybe you want to persist all of your changes as you're making them into local storage, or you want to write some sort of like middleware-ish kind of function that uh, turns it into something else. Uh, you can do that. Or you want to log all your steps and see what's happening or debug it. 
um, you're doing that in one central location. And that way, essentially, your components don't have to worry about that. All they have to worry about is a simple dispatching of an action and getting uh, an update of the model data they care about. So it's pulling it away from the manual process of putting things into individual services, perhaps, that each component is injected with and dealing with a centralized tree of data that is viewed in different ways. Um, not all applications need that, but you know that's what the, the basic pattern is. And that centralized tree, it's at the global level. So yeah. everything across the whole application can take advantage of that. Correct, yeah, and you can inject the store, which is the thing that you access the state from and subscribe to pieces of the store from any component, any place. And I think that's one of the big factors of it, the benefits of it, right, is that as you start crafting in this component world and you get more and more components across your application, you need some way to broker interaction between them all, right, and communicate and, and, and react to these things and all this stuff. And so you now have to try and solve that pattern and do you have components that know about each other and are coupled with each other uh, NGRX provides this way to decouple that. And now it's kind of like, okay, a component can live anywhere and do some stuff and affect the state and other components can listen for that state and subscribe to it. And, and now you can have this inner component communication going on without the, the decoupling of the tree and the build out, right? Yeah, correct. And, and the other benefit of, of course, on the other end is when you're subscribing to it, you have all those rich functional uh, transforms that you can do with it. You can map over it. You can, you know, filter out the ones you want to see based on time or based on frequency, um, you know, and, and do all the standard RxJS type of operations you'd like to do to the data that's being changed. So that's very useful as well. And the other factor there is you're getting this new state, right, which allows us to do change detection and more performance and, and stuff like that that we get out of this new object coming back, right? That's right. So an example of that is if you're, you know, uh, feeding an observable into an input of a component and then you set the component strategy to uh, change detection of on push, then it's only going to redraw that component when the input changes. And since observables, every time they fire, change the input. Uh, it follows then that that works pretty well for you know limiting the change detection processing. Um, I have an example of that when we look at the the little net hack thing I was hacking around with the little player movement thing uh, of of turning it on that way. The the other thing that goes really well with this in terms of the architecture of the actual state tree uh, that I've I've been experimenting with in the last couple of days and I see a real advantage of is immutable JS. Um, just in terms of the mechanical management of state, you know, whenever you're, you know, and anyone who's done any kind of Redux research has learned the big giant object assign methods that get really long and ugly. Um, if you're dealing with immutable JS, every time you quote unquote mutate, you're replacing the state with a brand new one. So in the demo, I'll show you a little later, I'm, I'm using immutable JS for all of that to make life easier ultimately for managing that state. So you should always be replacing state in the reducer and that means that is the thing that triggers the change detection of things that are fed from that. And for the listeners, Immutable.js is a library, I believe it's by Facebook, that yeah. basically helps you maintain this immutable state. So uh, in order to access the objects, et cetera, you have to go through their kind of API and it prevents mutations. And uh, it also has a lot of helper functions, like you were saying, around like, you know, I just want to update one property, you know, now I have to do these, uh, you know, expands on the object, et cetera, and this can really help you out with that. Yeah, it was yeah, interesting. I was, I was, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. I can talk, you can hear me, yes, success. Yay, Yay internet. Uh, but just wanted to clarify again, since we are mentioning immutable, that it is optional. Uh, you don't necessarily need to use immutable.js in order to create and work with immutable objects. Uh, it's just, like you said, it provides nice helpers, uh, for maintaining and working with immutable objects, but you don't necessarily need that if you're um, very secure and confident that what you're doing is immutable work. Yeah, that's the key. And, and so, for example, I, I built this uh, drum game without immutable JS. And then I looked at the code, <laughs> and I'll show you some of the slides. So the code, I mean, it's definitely it's something I was hacking on to learn the technology more and to, to sharpen my sword, so to speak, in, in discussing things. Um, but there was a lot of state manipulation there that would have been made easier with immutable JS as the, uh, the, the object API. So I think you'll see differences as we start talking about the, the mechanics of managing it uh, between doing it just flat with plain old JavaScript and object assigns or, you know, news on things versus, you know, basically getting immutable to mutate something by creating a new one. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. So let's, 
go back really quick and talk about that uh, journey of it going from this flux to Redux to NGRX, like how NGRX came about, kind of taking from those guys and 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 learning from this solution that got put in ahead of time. If we can just give you a quick rundown of that. Sure. Well, I hope I get the sequence right. But <laughs> so so the concept, I guess, with Facebook was originally to have a state store and. Flux was more of a, a general state store of you will have reducer functions that change state. And I think the, the major innovation with Redux, if I remember correctly, is that Redux was the one that said the state must be immutable. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that was the pattern. Um, and so I think that that around the time that uh, Angular and RxJS were coming together, uh, the team that was working on uh, these projects that ended up becoming NGRX store, I'm, I'm pretty sure they looked at that and said, if we make observables the heart of this, we basically make it so that everything is very reactive and very native to the Angular ecosystem. Now, I'm not so sure that that's the actual true story of how it evolved. I don't know if anyone here has a better story on that, but it certainly came about, I, I learned about it at uh, NGConf 2016 uh, and saw a really good presentation. I think Rob Wormold had it uh, and also heard a little bit earlier than that that the uh, everything is a stream presentation. Uh, that was the RxJS stuff and then NGRX store he brought to uh, ngconf 2016 if I remember correctly to show off so so I started looking at it about the same time that I was working on some training around um, react and redux uh, and then kind of put it in the back of my my mind and said we're going to come back and look at this later once we get this react training out of the way uh, I wanted to take a look at doing a re uh, a redux pattern in uh, angular and see what happened and it just so happens that ngrx store is there I also know that there's also um, an angular redux project out there NG2 Redux. Has anyone here ever used that? I've not. I've spoken with the maintainers a little bit, but um, I have not personally used it. Yeah, because I mean the Redux pattern is, uh, you know, I think it's under 100 lines of code if you, or close to it, if you write the the pure Redux pattern yourself. Um, and so the the RxJS store is just one mechanism of doing it, but you could certainly do it uh, with just a, a straight API as well. So, um, in fact, there are uh, some developers just decided rather than build their uh, stuff with the Redux API, they just build their own reducer and their own store pattern. Um, so the, the concept is relatively simple. It's just, you know, the tooling that comes around having a standard API is what could be really beneficial. And is is Flux more based on multiple state stores and then the Redux is like the concept of one state store that you take slices from? Is that one of the things? I'm not entirely sure because we really only covered Redux. The one thing about Redux and also that, that Angular follows with is that the store can be partitioned. So you can decide, and I, and I don't do this yet. I, I've been finding trying to find good use cases besides just building up a an enterprise app kind of thing of having true, you know, hard slices of data. Because what I always find is, especially with the NetHack game, was I'll need to find information out from one part of the tree in another reducer. So if you break it apart, you don't see that other state. But the concept is you can partition it by some key. And each reducer, each function can manage a particular subtree of that data. Um, and so I'm not sure if Flux was, you know, seven different Fluxes out there versus one Redux with seven different keys. But basically, NGRX store follows the latter, which is I can have one store that has multiple reducers operating on different keys. And there's an interesting uh, thing that happens when you do that is that your actions can cross cut across your different trees. So you may, if you want to think of it as like a save action or initialize action, each of the reducers with their own tree of data can deal with a more generic thing in their own way for their state tree of data. So the advantage of having it all rolled up together with one dispatch process is you can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's the, that concept there, right, is that you're, you're selecting slices that you need, but you have it all as one. So just like you said, you can you know, um, run over all of that. Right. One of the things that I've done is I've partitioned it out with like a UI segment and then a data segment. And mm. I have just stuff that affects my UI, you know, things that are showing and hiding or animating or whatnot, loading, that sort of thing. And then the things that are part of the data and then you can slice into it and kind of organize it that way. Um, so that's kind of something that I've, that I've played with as well. And I, one of the ways that that kind of, because another thing you can do with the state that you talked about earlier is that now you have this ever running, you know, snapshot of what your state of your application is. And at any time you can grab that snapshot and then re reload, rehydrate your application with that state and get it back to that same state, right? So you think like a, a browser refresh or something like that. Um, 
and things like you know segmenting out your your store can allow you to do things like okay these are the chunks the ui or whatever that i do want to rehydrate and this is maybe the data that comes from a service that i want to rehydrate by making that call and putting that into the store so that can help there yeah right makes a lot of sense sure i've even heard some people of using you know the store for some type of cash mechanism mm. with your data layer yeah that makes some sense too so, so there's a lot of good things you can do around this. And I think that uh, there is a project out there, uh, like a, an NGRX middleware for, for example, persisting to local storage, uh, which is one of the projects you can just install into the kind of the Redux processing model. Um, so that's the kind of thing you can do. And I'm not entirely sure, this is one thing I'm a little unclear on, is how much of the Redux middleware could be compatible at all. Um, I know that, like, we'll talk about tooling a little bit. They, they actually do have a, a an ability to use the, Redux dev tools, for example. Um, but the one thing where, for example, Redux has a, a very large number of things that, that I don't see in NGRX is all the different middlewares. Uh, and the middlewares are things that do all sorts of transforms of the data or processing of the data. And I'm not sure how compatible they are. I, I haven't tried it myself, but I'm, I've seen other people use uh, pieces like reselect and things like that. Oh, nice. And so, and and with its hook into the store, I assume it's it's probably got to be compatible. But I, I've never done it myself. Yeah, my gut feels the same. If the if the dev tools work, that's pretty much observing <laughs> state changes, and and they're the, they're a, a compatible state change uh, model. You would hope that you could do that. But I was researching that for the show. I couldn't really find much on that. So that would be really an advantage if we could do that. I think that was something that they had in NGRX and uh, they shelved it for a while. I think they're, uh, I was talking to Mike Ryan at uh, NGConf and he was mentioning that he wants to get back on the show here and, and talk about some of the new stuff that they got coming out with it. And I think that that was something that they, they probably held off on. I know the documentation showed some middleware type of concept stuff and there's ways that you can do it, but there might be something new coming out that makes it easier for us to add that in. But along that topic, so there's different, um, packages, right, for NGRX, you got the, the core and the store, and then you've got some of these other things like effects and things like that, right? And I think that you're gonna cover some of uh, the effects stuff here in a demo, is that correct? Yeah, so so I used, uh, so let's talk about some of those things. So, so the core of it, the actual core API enables the store itself. So you'll have to you have a dependency of the core and then the store itself, which initializes your state store. Um, and pretty much most of the things you could do with that, you can dispatch an action, process the action and get the subscription to deliver updates. That's what you get out of the box with the tool um, with some, you know, really useful APIs in there. But then if, if you want to observe what's going on and watch the state stream and then react by kicking off another action, um, that's what these effects are. So here's an example of something you can't easily do without, you know, basically going out and in constantly to the store. What if you want to do a countdown timer? Um, you know, for example, uh, you've got some sort of animation of a missile you're firing and you want to be able to have it every 300th of a second or every 50th of a second, you want to have it move across the screen. Um, to do that, you would probably have to set up some sort of set timeout and dispatch actions over and over and over again from the outside. But you kind of want the state store to manage some of these things if they're kind of activities. So one thing you, you could do is you could watch for a particular uh, request coming in for, for, for an action that maybe says fire missile. And then what you could then do is have the effect pick that up, turn right around and trigger an animate frame kind of thing. And every time it sees animate frame, you could keep track of a number, decrement it until you get to the bottom, and then just shut it down. Um, and that's the kind of thing you can do with NGRX effects is watch for a particular message and then react to it by doing one or more things or swallowing that message or doing something along those lines. So the, the NGRX effects library kind of sits and observes and acts upon messages by then communicating further with the store. And that allows you to take some of that logic out of the components because normally the components are the ones that need to dispatch that, right? Or maybe a service yep. and pull that out and say, oh, this is not really tied to any component or a particular service, but I do need to do this workflow. Yep, exactly. We do, I do this in the game too. So I have a, a drum legend game that I'll demo here. And in the drum legend game, I'm going through various levels and it's a real, real simple game, but um, you're, you're basically stepping through 25 different 
more obnoxious drum patterns for drummers. Uh, and as I'm doing that, I'm kind of using the effects library to say, okay, start the timer. When you get down to the bottom of the timer, move the level forward, start the timer again. Uh, and it was really helpful. Beyond, before that, I was doing exactly what you talked about, which was writing a lot of code and a component. And I felt this just doesn't feel right. And then going back and thinking about um, the Saga library from Redux, which is what it's trying to do, is these long-running stories watching the event, basically the event processing and then affecting new events. There's a library in Redux called Saga, which does basically the same thing NGRXFX does. And so that's where I learned uh, that that was possible. And then I looked and saw that was effects was there and I could take advantage of it. So it's kind of good to learn both, to pick up the, the ideas from one group to apply to another. One thing about effects is um, you can actually use Angular's dependency injection, I believe, it, with it. So if you needed to, uh, you know, in reducers, you can't, those are pure functions. So you don't have access to those injectors and things. And with effects, you can actually get, uh, uh, instances of your services and and perform you know API actions based on that as well. It's similar, Austin, to like the Thunk libraries goals in Redux. Same thing, right? So in the Redux world, you want to affect an AJAX change to save something or pull something in. Um, so you dispatch an action that says, "I want to save this," and the action basically in their world returns a promise, and you do the AJAX call, and the promise says it worked, or here's the payload and that fills in the Redux data. That's the same thing here, you're right. So you're basically creating an injectable uh, as your effects object, and yeah, you could certainly inject it in the constructor with whatever service you want. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a really good point in terms of what effects gives you, right, versus your normal reducers and how it solves another problem with that. So Very cool, well, let's get into, the, I wanna get into demos. I'm sure everybody <laughs> wants to check this stuff out. But give us a real quick backstory of, of this demo and what you, you know you do with that stuff. All right. So um, I didn't talk about the New York thing online yet, right? We were just talking before, before show. Okay, so, uh, so, so the way this all started was, um, you know, I was finishing up this uh, training in React, and I had some time to do some more dev research for, for updating the Angular training, uh, and I wanted to have an excuse to use RxJS originally. So the first thing I'm going to show you just briefly is a little synthesizer demo. Uh, and that's using purely RxJS. And I wanted to see if I could take MIDI input from Chrome uh, or device input from an IoT device like this goofy little touch conductive touchboard, if I could take that information and I could then automate calls to service calls to do web audio, what could I get away with? You know, how much could I drive the uh, system and how reactive could it be? Um, and so the first test was that. So I don't know if you want to share the screen over with me or give me presenter. Um, I can share my screen so let me do that all right yeah i have the hangout toolbox on here tech support there it is screen share and we'll do the entire screen all right so the first one is this polysynth thing excitement right but um <laughs> so so the idea is it's just a it's just a web audio synthesizer uh and you know i was able to do various things like for example these are my drums and if I had a touch screen, this would be really cool, but it, it isn't, <laughs> so I don't. Uh, but the point being that, you know, you could, auto, you could automate this audio, and then let's see if this works. So if I'm lucky, this works. I'm recording. That worked, look at that. Um, and all I'm doing is I'm basically replaying then events that I'm recording in web audio based on their timestamp. Um, and that's all done through just pure RxJS. Um, so for that, let me pop over okay, here. Wait a second. Can you can you explain what you did? You mean you recorded your actions and then replayed them? Yeah, like so. So I'll go through all this. But uh, basically, the first thing was the the keyboard is simply just events, right? These are just press down events, right? Um, and these are all using the Web Audio Synthesis API. But the the drum set is just playing samples. And then what I did was I I decided to take. Um, an RxJS uh, uh, feature called the uh, replay subject, which is a type of observable. And as I'm placing things into it, it's basically a log of all the different notes I was playing. So I would record into the replay subject, and then for playback, just subscribe to it, and each of the events has the delta of time from when it started recording. So it would just basically feed those with a, with a set, what did I, like set timeout, I think, of the next interval 
play a sample, set timeout, play another sample, set timeout, and so on, and build a really simple, cheesy, but simple uh, <laughs> sequencer out of it. But this is all purely using just RxJS observables. And point being that I did this, and I went to Google and demoed this, and we had a really large response because you know probably about 60% of people I've ever run into in tech are either artists or musicians. And so they, they all swamped me and said, how'd you do that? And I realized I had something that, that people were interested in. Um, and that's what led me down the road of going to uh, NGRX store. But, but at the simplest level, um, what this is doing uh, is basically using observables. So what I'm doing in this little piece of code here, I'm just gonna make this a little larger. Uh, this is the uh, MIDI input service, is I'm actually asking Chrome, and believe it or not, Chrome has a MIDI API. Who knew? So if you've got a MIDI drum set or a MIDI keyboard connected to your computer, um, when you ask window.navigator on Chrome to request MIDI access, you can then grab the input and subscribe to it. So ultimately down here, I'm subscribing to that input in the MIDI API. And then as I'm getting notes in it, um, you know, I'm basically either doing a drum set or a MIDI note here. Uh, where's the process? This is a little bit uh, crazily done, but here we go. So I've got a process music note message, and this is based on the MIDI note number. So 144 is note down, uh, 128 for MIDI is note up. So you can trigger a synth note message, and I have different just TypeScript variables representing different types of messages I want to process. And I'm feeding that into an observable. Um, so one does synth note on, one does synth note off. One, if I turn a volume knob, changes the volume. Um, I have waveform changes from sawtooth to you know different types of things. Um, and then for the drums, I'm doing the same kind of thing. I'm basically creating a trigger sample message. So the one thing that doing just in general RxJS did was let me create a message channel that had typed messages because we're in TypeScript. Uh, you know, if I went into the app, let's see here, go to models. Um, where did I put this stuff? Should have thought ahead. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so so I had somewhere in here I had uh, variables for the different types of messages, and then based on that, I would send these through an observable. Then on the other end of the pipeline, let's see where was this here? Um, synthesizer service. Um, basically would play different messages based on messages that came in. I'm not actually, I should have prepped a little bit better on this particular block of code, but I, it's not really the focus of this, of this whole discussion. But I wanted to point out at least this is all doing purely observable stuff. And um, the interesting thing about that was it, it was able to keep up even with a MIDI keyboard. So I was able to like, you know, hook a keyboard up and play it and jam all sorts of notes into it. And it was able to keep up. But the coding for it was a little bit complex. A, because web audio is pretty complex. Uh, and B, because you're doing RxJS with web audio and uh, it's a fair amount of, you know, wiring to get it done. But it worked. And that was kind of interesting. Um, go forward a little bit and we had this app. And so this was just an excuse to get people to walk into our booth at South by Southwest. Um, we we do a fair amount of uh, Internet of Things projects and, and mobile projects. Um, and a lot of them have kind of wires hanging out of them, so they're not as exciting to look at. So I wanted to have something that people could engage with and kind of walk up to and, you know, tap a drum pad. So what I did was build a little drumming game. The idea is you get a challenge. And you keep going on forever, apparently. Um, <laughs> 15 seconds is an enormous amount of time, isn't it? Um, and as you're doing this challenge, you, your score goes up is, and, and then you go to the next one. So the second one is double stroke rolls. And as you're typing or as you're tapping on the MIDI, you're scoring points. That's the entirety of the game. Um, but for that one, I chose to use um, uh, I chose to use uh, NGRX uh, Store because it actually made the state of the game easier to work with. So <clears throat> here we go. So we've got a state machine for gameplay. Um, and so what we're doing there is we have this, this tree of data called the gameplay state and observable um, that we're subscribing to from the state machine. And whenever we do certain things, we dispatch actions. So for example, um, you know, we can send a stroke in, right? And that dispatches an action called stroke action. And that'll be basically left or right keystroke. Um, and then the reducer 
has the state of the game in it. So in this case, I didn't use anything beyond standard NGRX store. So I'm creating an object for the initial state, which is of type gameplay state, and I'm initializing all the values here. And the drummers call different patterns rudiments. So I've got this concept of different rudiments I take people through. Uh, and so we step through them one by one by one. Now here's a, a, a reducer in NGRX store. Let me just move this out of the way here. And so the gameplay reducer is what runs whenever we send a message, when we dispatch an action. And you can see we have various types of things that we're doing. And so typically what you'll see with these reducers is you'll see an initial function that has some basic switch in it that says based on this particular action type that comes in, I will do this piece of processing. And that we can start breaking things out and, and debugging them and, and working on them separately. Um, and so you'll notice that in a lot of these cases, they end up with some sort of object assign. And so that's the general pattern is return a new object, which is what object assign can do if you give it an empty object in the first argument and overlay its values with properties from other arguments. So the state that came in from the last action is fed in. If I end the game, I say create a new object with that state and set the game play state to final score. And we know it's finished. And let's see if ultimately this, this will end and you'll see like a score of all the different values of you know, which level I had what score for and things like that. If the state comes in where it's um, send stroke, we go to this process send stroke, which let me go down there. So we do kind of some game state check. Uh, we make sure that the pattern that came in is proper. So, you know, as I'm typing, as I'm typing, each one of those is a send stroke and I'm basically concatenating that with the pattern. I make sure that the displayed pattern matches. If it does, then we increment our score um, or at least increment our position. If it doesn't, then we reset and we start again. So that's the kind of logic we're doing in here. Um, if we match all the way to the end, then I, I score a, a full match for that particular thing. We add to the points uh, and then we start the position over again, that kind of thing. Then ultimately in that one, we create a new object uh, we say gameplay state uh, with the, the value state um, with the current score values that we picked up and whether we moved on or whether we haven't. So, so that's that one. It's just a just matching and following along and changing the state as we go along. Very cool. Uh, let's see. And so, with that, I installed the state store. Let me find the actual state installation here. State machine module. Let's talk about how we actually install it. So there is a provide store function uh, in the NGRX store store module. And this is where we talk about, you know, how you basically partition pieces of the, of the store. So I only had one piece in here. I was looking for an excuse to do more, but um, I had a gameplay partition and that was going to run the gameplay reducer. The game play reducer, the thing we just saw, we just export as a function, which we then import into the thing that configures it, which is in our, in our case is a module. So store module.provide store initializes the store. Uh, and then basically that is the thing we can then pick up and inject ultimately and, and use to get to the store and do dispatches or subscribe to data. The effects are the things that kind of pick up when events happen. So for example, this is what the effects library uh, is at a bare minimum looks like. We're going to have an injectable. Uh, and the injectable at the bottom has a constructor, which is given the stream of actions that are happening that you can then sip from. So you can say, uh, as you see just above here, trigger timer, do something when the action type is action types that next pattern. Uh, and then it also gets the store itself. Um, so those, those are the constructor arguments. Uh, and now I can affect changes by calling different things. So let me just go to a simpler one. Um, let me do start timer. So on line 32 here, we have start timer. Uh, and this is basically an effect that gets triggered when the action type is action start timer. Um, we're actually not going to do it in the reducer. We're going to do it here in the, in the uh, effect. We're going to then take the information 
we're going to use something called map to payload, which says, give me the parameter from start timer, which is going to be the number of seconds for that particular challenge. So that's what map to payload does. It's, it runs this to payload function, uh, and it takes that and makes that the result of the next call, which is going to be a switch map, which we've now switched what we're doing to point to the payload, uh, which is the number of seconds for the timer to run. Some of this stuff takes a little while to kind of think through, but basically map to payload gets the parameters from the action you've just kicked off. And then switch map lets me change what we're doing so that we can then say, I'm now going to um, process this payload and I'm going to return a new observable instead. So I'm going to now run the timer decrement action with that payload. The timer okay. decrement action gets triggered here and what it's doing is it's just basically ticking down by one each time after sleeping for a certain number of milliseconds. And that's just some static configuration value. Um, if we get to zero, then I do a score of the pattern and I trigger the next pattern. So that's letting me do two um, dispatches one after the other. Um, if we are still counting down, I just say, fine, dispatch another timer decrement action, subtracting one from the payload. So if this started at 30 at the start timer, then we go to 29 here, uh, then 28, 27, 26, down to zero, and then it will score the pattern and move to the next pattern. So those are the kinds of things I was able to do with the uh, effects library that weren't easily done with Redux itself. So I have a question for you real quick. Sure. So on that one on line 48 there where you're concatenating that observable and, and firing off those two actions, um, are those two actions designed to be independent of one another? Do you know that? Are they fine to run like that? Do they run like a, what's the timing? Or I'm pretty sure they have to run in order. Like I, I think that the changes to the store have to be done sequentially from what I am. Um, just from a concurrency perspective, we don't really have parallel threads, right? So. Um, it's going to basically take turns. Oh, great, I have a Facebook message. Um, <laughs> but uh, it it basically will take turns. So it will do the score pattern action and then the next pattern action one after the other. That's my understanding of it. And then um, this is getting a little deep, but do you know if that is that dispatching that action and running that through all of the reducers and then dispatching the next action and running it through all the reducers? Or is it yes. running both of those at once? It should so be running them sequentially one after the other. Now, hopefully I'm right about that. I'm, that's why I use the word should be. But as I'm observing, I've never gotten it out of sequence. That's the good news because um, it's scoring and then it's flipping the next pattern. So it does look like it's sequential. And plus you're in JavaScript. So you're basically taking you know, things turn after turn. The thing I don't know is, does it give it any time to sleep between the score and the next? Um, whether it's like doing it and then taking the next one on the next tick of the, uh, the JavaScript queue, so to speak. Okay, cool. And then, so with these, with the effect, you have a property on this class here, right? Like this one mm -hmm. countdown timer, um, and you're setting that equal to a value, and then you're using the effect decorator, and that's what's going to have the whole library know that, hey, this is something that I want you to run and watch and do that sort of thing. That Correct. Kind of yeah, you have to annotate with add effect, and so you're annotating a member variable that ends up becoming this operation. So, so that's the, the kernel of the game is that. Everything else is window dressing. But what I want to show the components, at least, because I want to show it from the other side, right? So it actually turns out to be a simple component. So um, let me find it here. I'm in the wrong tree, aren't I? No, I'm in the right place. Drum legend, source app drum legend. Drum legend component, there it is. All right, so, so the interesting thing about this one is most of the game is rendering, right? It's, there's really not, oh, there's the summary, by the way. Uh, most of the game is rendering, right? It's, the game plays all on the keyboard. Uh, and then we're just reacting. So this stuff at the top here, the timer's counting down, the score is changing. We've got these different pieces, and then we've got kind of some narrative. So um, that can all be pretty much handled with just a subscription to the root tree. And that's all I really had to do here. So for example, you'll see a template that's kind of broken down into different pieces, just CSS based blocks. Um, you'll see I'm referencing things like gameplay state, 
Uh, and I'm being safe with the uh, question mark, the Elvis, because it may or may not be there in some cases. And then it looks like I just went up and, you know, as this was a demo, I was kind of hacking a bit and just did the, the brute force mechanism, right? Show the div completely or don't show it. Um, so there's a little bit of, I guess, sloppiness here. But in the end, we've got um, this drum machine service in the constructor and the gameplay machine. Uh, and what we're doing is up top... Where is it on here? Oh, it's the app. That's what it is. I'm sorry, folks. App components kicking this whole thing off, isn't it? Drum legend container component. That's it. The container is doing the pipe to async. That's what I was looking for. So we have uh, the content container mounting our main component. Our main component is given the gameplay state. The gameplay state is piped to async. And the async pipe will subscribe for me automatically and feed that into the input of drum legend main. So now drum legend main is merely getting a new object every time the state changes. And that causes it to repaint itself. And for this app, that's fast enough, right? Well, that's a crazy one, right? But for this app, it's fast enough to do that because it's basically just mostly read-only data. But you could decide if you wanted to, to take slices, and I'll show you this in the in the, uh, the next demo, you could take slices of that state and subscribe to them asynchronously and have pieces of the page rendered just for that little tiny piece of state. Um, but the bottom line is this does the subscription of the observable, and the observable is pulled in um, by basically asking for the game play machine's property, which is the uh, observable of the gameplay state. Cool, makes sense. It's a little bit, it's a little bit incoherent there to describe, but uh, uh, bottom line is you've got these functions that are running whenever we trigger events. Oh, I should mention the trigger in the event too. Um, I'm using a host listener. So on window key down, so anywhere in the windows, as long as I press a key, uh, I then get the key and this drum machine service trigger stroke and the send stroke. The interesting thing about this game is that the state of the gameplay is done through NGRX store, but the synthesizer that triggers the sound is done through regular observables. So I basically got two actions here. Um, this one makes the sound uh, and this one keeps the state the game in, in, in good state. I probably could have done this through an effect instead. So the effect could have done both of these pieces uh, instead, and it would have been just one simple dispatch to the action that would trigger the effect to then trigger the stroke and send the stroke. And that's a good example of uh, what NGRX is providing you here, right? Is this opportunity to do that, right? Right. Like this effects now, all of a sudden, now you can make this component slimmer because you can offload some of that logic out to now the NGRX stuff. Yeah, it's always a challenge to work on these little examples too because you know, you're you kind of woodshedding or learning from your uh, hacking exercises. Then you look at it later and go, ooh, should I show that? You know? <laughs> but it's a good learning experience. Like you're right, right there, that's a place where we could just say that really doesn't belong at the component level. That belongs at a, a level nearer to the state store. So an effect would be a really good thing for that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about getting in there and starting and then just refactoring, refactoring, refactoring. Yep. yep. And that's a great thing about talks like this is that it shows examples of the different use cases of not just, hey, there's effects and you can use them, but more so a specific use case of, all right, this is how you use them, this is when you use them. Exactly. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with learning from the things you're, you're doing. So then here's the, the silliest one I came up with, and I did this one on purpose to say, how could I make a relatively, hopefully, simple example of NGRX, completely NGRX store-based with an effect? And so what I have here is a really simple little play field um, and the dollar sign, which is really, uh, I, I designed that myself. <laughs> and that's the player in this play field. And if I fire a missile, um, you know, the missile firing is really an NGRX effect. And this other stuff is simply NGRX store. And I use this one as an, a, ch a chance to try to work on uh, using immutable JS as well. I wanted to see how much easier that could make processing the state. And so this is the third demo. And so uh, this one, uh, let me walk you through this. Uh, let's close all these things here. Uh, in this one, so I've got the, the board reducer. 
Uh, and so basically it deals with an array, a two-dimensional array of board spaces, rows and columns. And so this first chunk of data here is just initializing a set of rows and columns in, in uh, a JavaScript array. Uh, and then I'm using immutable JS. So this is the thing we talked about from Facebook here. And we're creating basically a tree or a map of objects. So this would be our state. Uh, and this is what the board is comprised of. It's basically got a player location, it's got a missile location, and a set of board spaces or an array of board spaces. Um, and so what I did here is I used immutable.map so I could get keys and values. So now we've got an immutable map uh, with a key of player location, a key of missile location, a key of board spaces. The player location is a set of properties, so that's another nested map. The missile location, again, another uh, nested map, and we've got row and column, and in this case, active. I want to disappear when it's not active. And then board spaces, again, is that just it's a two-dimensional array. It's an array of an array of board spaces. So we have rows and columns. So that's the state. Now, the reason I used immutable was because it made modifying it a little more direct and a little less hard to, to mess up. Uh, and it wasn't, it, it, I was kind of surprised that it became much nicer to deal with. Um, so here's the board reducer. We basically just got a couple of different things in here. We've got, um, we've got a fire missile effect, which you saw when we kicked something off. We have an animate missile effect, which we run until the missile dies. And we've got a destroy missile, which basically erases the missile. So that's the three for the missile. And then we've got a, a set tile to set the tile value. And we've got a capturing the movement uh, keystroke thing for the up, down, left, and right, and fire. So those are the different, uh, those are the different types of actions we're going to do from our reducer. Um, let's go down to just the setting the location type. That's the simplest one. It's right there, <laughs> uh, function set tile in. So in this case, we get our current state, we have a tile action, and the tile action is going to have a property of it of the space type. And so uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna grab uh, the actions payload. And so in, in NGRX uh, store, you have a payload for your action, you have a type for your action and a payload for your action. The type for this was set tile in, the payload is going to be uh, a basically an enum. So I'm using an enum to, uh, to, to parse that out. And you'll notice my little comment, oh God, TypeScript. I'm a Java guy, right? In Java, enums are relatively straightforward creatures. <laughs> but um, to, to decode an enum, that's a little bit of work. So you, you kind of have to like look it up by its type after grabbing it. Uh, it doesn't give you a raw enum. You have to actually ask it for it almost in, in index property uh, syntax. So this is giving me the actual enum for the value in space type. This is actually 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. This thing turns it into, you know, the type of player or whatever. So I code it back up to that. And then I create a new space object of type board space with that enum. Uh, and then here's the magic, okay? So when you do uh, set or set in in a... Uh, immutable JS object, it returns a brand new object for you. Um, I shouldn't say brand new, but it's certainly a new object. Uh, and so set in would say, I'm looking for the property chain of board spaces. The second part of it, because board spaces is an array, is the index of the outer array. And then that's an array of arrays. And so the index of the column in the column array of the row array. So it's a path, right? This is basically saying, give me board spaces, bracket, row, bracket, bracket, column, bracket. And I want to override its value with this new object. When I do that, it brings me a brand new uh, reference with the updated value in it. Uh, and now I've got my mutated state. That's a lot cleaner than the whole object assigned thing that you run into otherwise. Um, animating a missile or firing a missile. Well, let's do move, move player. That's another interesting one here. So moving a player. Um, you know, we're going to have a particular direction of the payload up, down, left, or right. Uh, and so if we're moving it uh, left or right, we're moving column-wise. And so in that case, I can grab pieces of the state, like the current row, the current column. And notice I'm using the state.getIn. Go to the player location, and the player location has a column property. So this is give me in the path of player location.call, bring me back this variable. So now I know what column that, that the particular player is in. Then I can do the same thing for the row. 
And then I do a little bit of math and goofiness around the, the player to figure out where I'm going to place them. Bottom line is I'm figuring out the target column. And if it goes off the left-hand side, I want to put them on the right. If it goes on the right-hand side, I want to put it at position zero. Uh, and then I do, yeah, go ahead. I heard a question. I was going to say, it's important to note there, like when you're using immutable JS, you actually, to get you know your properties out of the object of the immutable state, you actually have to use the get in. You can't use like your traditional dot notation there. So that's that's one thing to note about when you're picking and, and using immutable JS. It's it's kind of a whole mechanism. So not only are you setting state, but the way that you have to retrieve it is also different. That's correct, right? So there's get and there's set and there's get in and set in. You're absolutely right. So then and is that is that returning a copy then at that point of that data, or is that actually reaching in and grabbing the reference to that data? Oh, you mean for here? This, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I wish I did. Um, I would hope it's a reference to it, um, that it's something wrapped inside of it. You're just getting the wrapped reference, but I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. It, um, and also, like immutable JS gives you the opportunity to get this object that you can work with, but then you can't mutate it, right, without using these gateway methods on that. Yeah, correct. Yeah. If, if get in gave you a, a reference to that, and then you go and you change current call to be something else, are you actually mutating that underlying object? So based on that statement, you probably couldn't. It might throw an error. Who knows? I, I really it honestly don't. Errors. It does throw errors. Okay, good. Well, that's good. <laughs> you don't want it not to, right? Um, certainly don't want to mutate it. But uh, And that's the value, right, of immutable JS, if you take this approach, is that now you're giving your people that write that code in there, this rigidity of saying, okay, because it's really easy, I think as you go forward to, for people to come in and not really realize that, oh, this thing that I'm working with, I could mutate that. And that kind of breaks down this whole redux, you know, NGRX pattern that you're using. So this kind of safeguards that a bit, right? It certainly makes sense to do that. Yeah. Well, here's another, so, so speaking of that, so what we ended up having to do when, you, when we move a, a something from column to column is I want to keep track of the, what I know is the reference to where it is in the player location, right? So the player location has to change, but I also have to change the player piece, right? So that's three basic changes that I want to make. And so they have this nice little uh, method on, uh, on your immutable objects called with mutations. And the idea is that you would just chain different mutators. Um, and what normally would happen for each of those set ins is it would return another state object. But I just want to batch them all together and get one final state object. And I found that incredibly useful. So like this would have been otherwise, I, I build up my state by calling set in three times and replacing the variable every time with the new one. Well, now this is just a single one. You know, I, I come back with new state and I return it. And the only reason I did the let and the return was I was debugging. Uh, but you could just certainly say return state dot with mutations and you're good to go. So that made things really nice. Now I'm making three changes to the model and getting a, a new model reference with those changes in it. So that kind of made that interesting. Um, so that's the reducer. Then everything else is basically a variation on the theme there. We're doing set ins and gets and things like that. So for example, with the missile location, um, if I destroy the missile, I want to basically set it so that the missile location uh, has an empty space. And then the, the variables for the position of the row and the column of the missile are gone and zero, and then it's no longer active. So that's four different changes all in one nice little batch using state dot with mutations. So to me, it just seems like if you're going to go down the road of really adopting the Redux pattern, that certainly mutable is going to give you some advantages in terms of state management if you're willing to live within its restrictions, which are probably it, to your advantage. It, it's a commitment, though, because now you've got all your code in this like proprietary library Good and you know it's if something were to change and and immutable objects were to come to javascript tomorrow right <laughs> that's going to be a big change that, that's very true that's very true well otherwise you'd have to build your own or do something for the temporary period of time or just not you know just treat them as regular objects you do object to sign with so you're there right there are some utilities out there that I've used in the past because I didn't want to go with the mutable JS because okay. of that reason um, that allow you to do these uh, like deep dot notation setters and return like the object uh, similar, very similar to how immutable does, but without that whole uh, uh, framework around that. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, then you can mutate your object and kind of cheat. 
Uh, so you, you don't get that like restriction, but if you wanted something lightweight and you just wanted to um, just do, just handle the setters and things like that, you can, there's a number of tools out there that do that type of thing. Hmm. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, oh. We should, yeah, go ahead. But go ahead. Yeah, so the, so the effects, let me just show you the effect. It was really just the, the missile animation for this one. So, so this was a little more straightforward and direct. And so this is the example of where um, if I trigger an effect, if I fire a missile, I want to pick up an effect and start animating that missile, right? So the, the goal here was um, when I intercept fire missile, switch to doing an animate missile call. Uh, and I'm using environment here for my data so I can kind of jam it in one place for the time being. But I'm saying, you know, whatever the number of calls is, do that minus, let's say, three so it kind of fades out just before it gets to the ship uh, if it wraps around. And then uh, what will happen next is I look for the animate missile message. So it's basically going to come right on the heels of this. Uh, and it's going to basically count it down like we did in the other example. So, you know, I uh, wait a certain amount of time uh, and then I call another animate missile action, space is left minus one, until I eventually destroy it. And the interesting thing is, this isn't just doing this. Um, the animate missile reducer method gets called, and that's what actually triggers the rendering, right? So the effect is triggering a reducer call with a particular uh, action and state, uh, and is also kind of going through a loop of calling it over and over again. So that's a little more refined and small example of doing that. But yeah, up until yesterday, or early yesterday, this was all using regular object assigned and stuff. But I found that the code got a little bit cleaner looking when I was going down the immutable JS. So I can definitely see some advantages to it. That's awesome. Yeah. As with any tool, you make your decisions based off of the size of the tool, what it's going to add to that versus the convenience it gives you in code. Yep, absolutely. Yep, give and takes, right? Yep. Cool, all right. Well, I think we're getting to the top of the hour, so probably need to wrap things up. Let's see. Okay. I'll stop presenting here. All right. Um, cool. <laughs> Certainly a lot of material that could be <laughs> other shows, right? We could probably do a whole one on Mutable JS and that concept and things like that, um, and definitely more on the NGRX. But definitely it was awesome to see this stuff. Appreciate you coming on and, and showing us this stuff and talking about it. Thank you. Let's get some picks. Um, Austin, do you have any picks today? I don't have any this week, <laughs> believe it or not. I, I, I guess I gave all mine out last week. <laughs> That's totally fine. You had a ton last week, so we're, we're good with that. Uh, Mike, you got anything? I've got two, and they're both uh, very similar. Uh, so as many people are aware, uh, Google I.O. was last week. And I have uh, two talks from there that uh, I'm Adios Mamani, and it's uh, production web apps with JavaScript frameworks where he walks through a different uh, number of JavaScript frameworks and creating progressive web apps with those. Uh, he mentions Angular, but uh, did not show any particular examples there. Um, and then the other one is using web components with Angular with Rob Dotson and Stephen Florin. Uh, they did a really nice job uh, talking about how those two technologies play well together with each other. So again, those are in the show notes. Uh, you can find them out on YouTube, uh, but both very good talks. Nice. Nice. I have two. Um, first, a thought ran post on custom themes with Angular Material and dropped. Uh, pretty cool in terms of using Angular Material and, and theming it, making uh, different themes, different um, configurations and stuff for that. And then a little Overwatch love here. It's the one-year anniversary event starting today and running for a couple weeks. So if you play Overwatch, check that out. All kinds of new goodies and stuff like that. Those are my picks. Uh, Ken, how about yours? So my first one, and this is just to, to recognize the, the the horror that just happened over in uh, uh, Manchester. Uh, if, if you feel as disgusted as I and everyone else probably on this podcast feel about the terror bombing, uh, at the concert last night. Um, they have a uh, support uh, site on Westchester. Uh, I'm sorry, Westchester. Um, what is it? It's called West End, to West End Together. I'll have to give you the link, but it's a, a PayPal giving site for crowdfunding to help the families, basically. So I'll put that in the show notes for you. Um, I like this little thing here, this bare conductive touchboard, and it actually got me down the road of hacking uh, web MIDI. Um, this thing is about, I think it's about 70 or 80 bucks. 
It is a um, touch sensitive, uh, basically static electricity, touch sensitive switches that are hooked in as inputs to an Arduino. It also has a synthesizer built into it and little audio jacks and things like that. So if you're looking for uh, like a nice little board to play around with web mini or web audio or anything like that and hack it with some inputs, this thing is a really neat little project. It's also great for kids. So if you've got kids that are really interested in electronics, it comes with like paint, copper paint, and you can like draw your own keyboards and do all sorts of cool stuff. It is a lot of fun. Uh, so I recommend that as my second pick. And then my third pick, I'm actually going to sneak this in, is we had a really good blog post uh, over at Chariot about Spring Boot uh, and cores and a jot uh, that my colleague uh, Rich Friedman did. And I think it could be really useful information just for the enterprise developers out there. Uh, it's on how to do security using Spring Security on the back end and Spring Boot uh, with Angular 2, which I guess could be up to <laughs> Angular 4 by now. Uh, and using the JSON web tokens. That's a pretty useful little blog post. And what site is that on? What's the domain for that? Uh, ChariotSolutions.com in our blog. Cool. And where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at, at RimpleOnTech. Uh, and uh, you can find me also on our blog as well. We do a lot of uh, blogging on Angular and all sorts of other topics. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate you sharing your time and, and sharing your code and, and taking the time. Very thankful thank you so very much we've got uh we're gonna be on the cruise we're gonna be recording i believe three different like panel shows short shows i don't think that they're gonna be live because we're gonna be on a boat uh but maybe i don't know we'll find out <laughs> uh so if not they're gonna be up online as soon as we can get them recorded and stuff and then the following week after that we'll be back to our regularly scheduled tuesday episodes so thanks for joining in uh, have a good one, and we will see you on the turn. Bye.